0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist Marketeers for DC. This is Arun Sudhaman from The Homes Report here on The Echo Chamber podcast. Delighted to welcome Vicky Chowney from Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Hello, Vicky. Hi. Back from South by Southwest.
1: Yes. Fresh off the plane.
0: Fresh off the WPP jet. <laughs> not
1: quite. <laughs> not quite. Yeah. No, perhaps not. It was a smooth
0: flight. It was good. <laughs> um, so you got back yesterday? I did. And you were there for a week?
1: Was... Yeah, so I landed the day before the start of Interactive, and then okay. Interactive ran until the end of Wednesday. Right. So it's a good six days. And it was your first time? It was. I was a South by Southwest Virgin.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. And... Um, how was it?
1: It was amazing, actually, because so many people talk about it before you go. Mm. You're very prepared for the fact that it's going to be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And people talk about the fact that you have to plan ahead in mm. terms of your schedule. And the app is phenomenal in helping you do that because mm. you, it syncs to everything. You can scar- like star your favorite sessions and then you effectively have your own kind of diary of what you're going to do. So that's really helpful. And as long as you do that, when you get there, you then have an idea of what you're going to focus on, and that works quite well.
0: It's interesting because you hear, obviously, there's so much stuff on social media about Mm -hmm. South by Southwest, in particular in terms of what brands are doing. They spend a lot of money there. Mm. Do you think it's well spent?
1: I, I think it depends on the brand. I think what was really interesting was there was some quite unusual brand activations there Um, and a lot of people doing a lot of like return to basic stuff so one of the trends that I picked up on before I went was automotive Um, largely off the back of one of the keynotes which was um, one of the co-founders of Lyft which is like an uber competitor and also this whole notion of the flying car that people are going to start talking about and that really represented both ends of the spectrum for me like super innovation in terms of future gazing and then really basic like how are we going to get around and travel Um, and Mazda was doing some shuttle services which you might think is quite you know basic and traditional but actually it's the best way to allow people to look at your product at South by Southwest because it's one of the main problems is getting around and so you might not think that that's super innovative, but actually mm-hmm. works really well when you have a new model to show off, and you've got people in a car for you know, <laughs> twenty minutes, and you are showing off what's inside.
0: Yeah, so is that is quite basic.
1: Yeah, and you know that's not high spend. Mm. Whereas some of the others, mm-hmm. you know, Spreadfast invested significantly right. in having. Um, a lounge area where people could go and work Yeah, which is really worth it because then you get a captive audience because it's so busy and crazy that you really need somewhere to sit down and take five minutes to rest so investing in you know hiring a space and giving people the opportunity to work and kind of have some food and drink and then also show off your product as well then that's really worth the, the mm. spend for sure.
0: What's the um, to use an overused phrase. What's the return on investment for brands investing at South by Southwest?
1: Now there's a question. I think the return is active leads Mm. because there are so many brands out there Mm -hmm. Um, because the brands will go to learn and they will spend a lot of time in the conference sessions. Um, And so there's a lot of people there who are open to conversations. And really, if you if you work the conference smartly and you have people who are both there to attend and listen but also then people who are focused on networking I think you could it could become a really kind of valuable um experience in terms of you know actually coming back with some some project work
0: right and that's from a I suppose from more of an agency perspective
1: I think also there's there's a lot of technology out there. Okay. There's an awful lot of tools. There's an awful lot of data, um, and there are an awful lot of kind of smaller businesses who are touting their wares, and so those people are the ones who invest in doing showcase sessions, mm. and they'll do things like parties because it gives them an opportunity to talk to people. Mm. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll host them at different times of the day. So not everything is in the evening. So you then get an opportunity to talk to people in, in the daylight uh, in a serious way about products and stuff.
0: Yeah. And I can see all that. I just sometimes wonder what the big brands are getting out of it. Because, you know, there's, they're all there, obviously. Mm. You know, the PepsiCo's, the Cokes, the um, Mondelez, so on. They spend a lot of money there, mm. clearly. Um and i'm not sure i completely understand why
1: yeah <clears throat> i mean some of them do sponsorship of mm-hmm. sessions so it's an opportunity for further brand awareness and i think it's such a hot spot of people tweeting and taking photos of literally everything mm. then it's it's useful in terms of brand awareness within a kind of um early adopter space right Some of the bigger brands, they will use it as an opportunity to show off their kind of CSR initiatives or innovation Mm -hmm. initiatives. So um, Shell, GE, Philips, they were all showing off their kind of smaller projects that focus on future gazing and trends. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get it from that perspective because it's kind of the prime place to show off what you're doing in that area right. because it's an audience that's really receptive to it mm. like the GE so GE had a, um, a barbecue research center mm. which was a place where they were exploring the effect of um, different charcoals on smoke and therefore in turn food wow and that was, that was kind of cool because it was an opportunity for them to talk about something that, you know, you might not know about the brand to, you know, pretty much all of the world's press who might be interested in that. Right. So I yeah. I get that in terms of investing in, in it. And
0: it's perfectly located as yeah. well, right? Because exactly. barbecue capital. Indeed. How was your vegetarianism, <laughs> by the way? <laughs> it was your newfound tough. <laughs> it was vegetarianism. It was
1: really tough. It was really tough because, actually... Um, you know, you can get loads of great veggie food out there because right. there's, there's so much Mexican. Mm. Um, but the smell of smoking mm. meat, when you haven't become a vegetarian because you don't like meat, you're doing it because, you know, yeah. you're trying to be healthier. It's mm. hard.
0: It was hard. Yes. Well, you're back now. You, should, you must be so happy to be back. I mean, um, you know, no more. Temptation
1: from smoking meat. when you do a week-long work trip, you're Mm. always happy to be back at the end of it because it gives you an opportunity to pause and Mm. almost take a step back and look at it from a a larger perspective. Yeah. Because when you're there and you're doing live reporting and you're watching so many conference sessions you You don't have the time to think about it until yeah. you've moved on to the next, and so yeah. to be back gives you an opportunity to kind of digest it all It's brutal,
0: yeah, as someone who's done several um events like that i mean yeah. can is a, is another one davos yes. it's full on intense mm. um and it was hard work for you. You did the party review at south by Southwest <laughs> which was yeah. i mean that looked like one of the kind of toughest assignments I've seen. <laughs> in my time you know uh investigative journalism i think at its finest yes. potentially thank you um no no i'm being i'm being serious here in a way because uh, it's an easy assignment to give to someone but you never really know for sure if they're going to mm. deliver on it it's a high risk Takes assignment some people just you know they may go to the parties but they may not ever report anything about them there's just many minefields involved in yeah. that kind of work
1: i guess, i guess the uh the secrets of that is just having a, a timer, and, I see, and right. not staying too long in one place. Okay. It's like really the core of networking, right? Yeah. As what is it? You you're only supposed to spend three minutes with someone when you're wow. networking. Okay. I didn't. Right. I wasn't quite that strict, but yeah. you know, knowing when to knowing when okay. to cut and move on. <laughs> you just walk off.
0: You're like, we're done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wasn't quite that brutal, no. but you know, it's just it, I go back to the point about good planning. Mm. And actually, the official parties are listed in the South by Southwest app, which mm. I was just endlessly impressed with, by the way, yeah. because you could you could you could do an inordinate amount of filtering of mm-hmm. different sessions by different track, speaker, type of conference, yeah. trend. So it was really good to search. You could save your own calendar of events. You could um, send messages to other participants Delegates, who were in the same yeah. room oh, at the same session. So it's location. Yeah, so it's location based, and then mm. also you could view all of the tweets about the session, right. which was fantastic. Yeah. Thinking about like, from a reporting angle you can go back and look at all of the tweets about individual sessions based on unique hashtags. Yeah. Which was great because it means that it's not all one mess of just hashtag South by Southwest 2015.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I I guess you'd expect South by to have a good app.
1: Yeah. It was really Um, impressive.
0: It would be disappointing if it didn't. Yeah. Possibly. Um, Best party?
1: Spread fast. Spread fast. Without a doubt. Yeah. So... um, They hosted theirs at ACL Live, which Mm -hmm. is where they film the show of the same name. And they had the Future Islands and the Flaming Lips playing,
0: Mm.
1: which was amazing. I mean, the Flaming Lips were broken up by a fire alarm in the middle of their set. Right. um, But were... Many
0: of the best gigs are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were very gracious about it. Um, But they were amazing. Mm. And they played for a good, you know, solid hour.
0: Okay. Worst party?
1: Um... (laughs) I don't know if I went to a bad party.
0: Oh, very good.
1: I don't know if I did. Very
0: diplomatic.
1: I mean, the the closing party um, was also amazing because Ludacris played, mm. which was bizarre.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but the lines were massive, right. absolutely huge. So and I don't know if that takes a little bit of the shine off of it.
0: What is it? I mean, it's a busy place. How mm. hard is it, all the queuing and all of that and getting I, be, into things. I was expecting
1: it to be a lot worse, mm. um, worse even. Mm-hmm. Um largely for the conference sessions if you turned up about 30 minutes before it started then you could get in mm-hmm. um especially to the featured sessions and keynotes where you know they are held in rooms where there's 10,000 seats mm-hmm. um but the smaller sessions were difficult so I went to one on which was a Game of Thrones case study of Ooh. an experiential piece of work that was done in Spain and that was, I, I have no idea why it was in a room that only seated 150 people, but the line was at least seven, 800. Wow. Um, so, you know, the people who were behind me in the queue were unlucky.
0: On yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the ideas and concepts and mm-hmm. trends you saw there. Yeah. What jumped out? What interested you?
1: So there were five trends that I was going to track before I went mm-hmm. um, we talked about auto and mm-hmm. um, actually it wasn't as prominent as I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. but I did think it was interesting that all of the car stuff was at either end of the spectrum it was either kind of real um, grassroots use of cars like left in the Mazda stuff or it was super future gazing there was no real in between mm-hmm. um, which I thought was quite interesting Um the content stuff was huge, so uh, w- talking to people at at um, various kind of networking things throughout throughout the week, it was quite interesting that there wasn't there wasn't a standout app, there wasn't a standout piece of technology. Right. Yeah, but there were. Loads and loads of sessions on content strategy and mm-hmm. storytelling and wow. experience-led stuff.
0: So all public relations stuff.
1: Yeah, really, mm. very much so. And someone said to me, "Why do you think that is?" And my um, my kind of summation of it is that the the kind of industry is so crowded at the moment with mm-hmm. so much content. It has been for years, mm. but in the face of that, you kind of have to return to basics. Mm-hmm. And to try and make an impact, really, um, the basics that are relevant in that situation is storytelling. Mm. And there was, there was a definite shift from years gone by where it was very much about the technology that's going to allow you to do something yeah. to creating experiences. Mm. And I thought that was quite, that was quite an interesting um, kind of outcome. The, health, mm-hmm. the healthcare stuff was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first year... Uh, they had a health and med tech expo where mm-hmm. they were showing off about sixty different healthcare technologies, and they were fascinating. Um, and that was all based off of the keynote from last year, which was um, Linda Avery, who is the founder of Twenty Three and Me, which is a yeah. saliva-based DNA um, mm. company. Yeah. It maps your, your yeah DNA. maps all yeah. of your DNA, and actually they they didn't end up getting Fda approved, but there have been mm. a couple of rare diseases where they' they're still able to provide reports based on their their tech mm. um, and that expo was amazing, and it was all focused around uh self tracking and monitoring your own health mm hmm um, and there were a load of really cool technologies that, that allowed you to do that. And a lot of um, kind of less medical and more well being tech. So there was one called Make My Plate, which is an app where you take a picture of your plate and it will analyze the nutritional breakdown of wow. the food that's on your plate.
0: So did, were people using that with, with barbecue? Was this not?
1: So it hasn't hey, launched yet. It, maybe it's in a little beta. redundant. I know, just like pure protein yeah. and fat. Um, yeah. But I thought that was cool. Mm. Um, this, the surprising trends for me. So uh, there was an awful lot about women in leadership and diversity.
0: That surprised you?
1: Um, yeah, it mm. did actually, because of the every single keynote I was in, it came up. Every single yeah. featured session I was in it came up mm. um and what surprised me about it was that people were talking about it like it was a new thing oh. and um, I think it was but it was great to hear people talking about it because that's what's going to help shift the dial but the interesting thing is that all of the people talking about it were incredibly senior people mm. talking about a need for more junior kind of support and resource and skills there was no one in kind of middle management slash grassroots millennials talking about why it's a challenge to get into science and maths and tech oh so it
0: was very much the top top down yeah
1: it was very much top down Mm. Um, which is important definitely um because that's what you know you you need that kind of stakeholder buy-in but i think there's a real opportunity next year for someone to go in and do something on okay actually practically how do we get diversity into the workplace yeah Um, but that's a good I mean in tech
0: field it's a good first step in a way because I think the uh, the criticism of not just South by but you know a lot of the tech events and the tech industries is that they're so male dominated so I think they're very wary of that I imagine
1: I think um one of the featured sessions with Eric Schmidt in it um, was yeah, talked about. Yeah, I read about, about that. Yeah, it was talked about quite, quite a lot. Mm. Um, there
0: was um, He was interrupting, I think, yes, his and fellow panelists. Yes, and mm. giving
1: permission to her to answer questions. Really? Okay. Which did not go down very well.
0: Okay, yeah. I'm just trying to imagine if I gave you permission now to answer a question. <laughs> how that would go down
1: it was it was quite bizarre Um, and then the uh, I guess the the other interesting outcome for me was um, this whole notion of learning through failure which was Mm. which was also repeated quite a lot yeah that's that's
0: Okay, expand on that first, and then I'll ask some questions. So
1: I think the most prominent um, session on that was Astro Tellers. Mm -hmm. Um, He is uh, captain of Moonshots at Google X, which is Google's uh, kind of innovation lab, I guess. And his Mm. whole keynote, which was the closing keynote, was on... Um, places where they'd failed and what mm. they'd learned from it
0: lots of places
1: yes yes he was he was really frank about google glass he yeah. talked about the fact that they just allowed it to have too much attention when it was a product in development which right. was quite refreshing to hear yeah um he talked about uh, project loon and spending an awful lot of time just going out to collect balloons that kind of crash-landed in the Arctic, but it was worth it because it taught them how to fly. Um, You know, loads of examples. Um, And I thought it was quite interesting that at the end, uh, during the Q&A session, one of the questions from the crowd was, um, it's all very well for Google to say that, but what about smaller companies Mm. who can't afford to fail? Yeah, absolutely. And his point was, my whole session is about the fact that failure is not expensive if you Mm -hmm. do it early. So his whole premise is don't allow people to develop fully functional products before they've tested it with consumers. Do the consumer insight first, or the customer insight if it's not consumer focused, Mm. and then build based on that, versus creating something that you as a team think is amazing, and then right at the end showing it to a customer, and then going, Mm. meh.
0: Do you see uh, any any implications there? Or, or how would you translate that for say a service industry? Because I find that a lot of these conversations are often around as you've just said new products and where there's quite a discrete kind of endpoint or at least a discrete idea of success. Yeah. But if you're in say a service industry like public relations mm-hmm. or even in something like um, journalism for example, yeah. I don't know. Failure is not necessarily that easy to handle, but maybe you can you can explain how how that might work in 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 the PR industry, mm-hmm. for example. Is is failure encouraged? Should it be?
1: Well, I think it should. I mean, I I actually think there's a really direct correlation between the two. So if you imagine um, you come up with an idea with your your PR, marketing, or advertising, whatever you come up with a comms idea you have to test that mm-hmm. with real people to see what their reaction is because that's going to give you so much insight into how people will respond on a larger scale when you launch it it's like it's like a classic ab testing approach if you don't show your idea first and and really really interrogate it in terms of what people respond well to what they don't like what they'd see more like to see more of then you're kind of taking a stab in the dark and while So much of PR has always been about gut, and I think that's still really important. You need to have Mm -hmm. the expertise to understand whether a story works or not. Um, It's not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. We have amazing access to data as an industry, and amazing access to consumer panels that don't have to be really expensive, um, focus groups that don't have to mean loads and loads of planning. Um, And you can use that to test things before you get to the point where you launch something and then realise that a specific word actually doesn't resonate very well or Mm. the way that a hashtag is written makes it seem like a completely different product or message. Mm. So I think that that notion is very similar to the idea of failing, but it's not quite failing. It's just testing first. Right.
0: Is there enough of that going on, do you think? Uh,
1: I think... Do I think enough of that's going on? No, I don't. I think so much of stuff is still led by gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it's the it's the smarter agencies, larger largely in the creative and digital spaces, mm-hmm. who do more of that kind of testing and analysis and insight led creativity that really is kind of eating PR for. Mm. PRs what's that phrase lunch lunch
0: breakfast dinner yeah whatever maybe yeah um, all meals all meals are on the table yeah let's mix metaphors yeah
1: I, d- I don't know I, d- I find it very difficult to segment the disciplines these days mm. um, and I think so much of the work that creative digital agencies um, yeah. and, and advertising agencies are doing could be counted as PR that yep. we need to become more data focused and insight focused
0: mm. Indeed. Um, so back to South by. Mm-hmm. So those were your five mm-hmm. trends. Yeah. Who Who was the best speaker you saw?
1: Uh, so it's a toss up actually between Astro Teller mm. and uh, the uh, the session that I saw with Martine Rothblatt. Oh yeah, on robots, on AI, which was both fascinating and terrifying at right. the same time. Okay. So she she had a she was in discussion with uh, Lisa Miller from New York Magazine. And Lisa read out uh, a transcript of an interview that she had done with Bina Forty Eight, which is a robot that Martine has built in the likeness of her wife, <laughs> implanted with an AI chip with the memories of her wife, and is a fully functioning being that she has her own Twitter accounts, at @ibina48. Right, um, and she relayed this this interview back and. It was, it was as if a person was talking to her, you know, relaying uh, feelings of inadequacy, saying that she um, was frustrated with the fact that she couldn't just go out into the garden and play with the flowers and, um, you know, it made her so sad that she wanted to cry. And it was just, it was so, mm-hmm. it was so scary because yeah. it was so sophisticated in terms of the emotion that that was pretty full on. Um, she also talked about diversity in the in the mm-hmm. workplace a lot. And then she also talked about her project, um, which is basically tweaking the DNA of pigs to make them a more, like, um, a, a more... What's the word? A more appropriate donor for lungs for humans. Oh, right, I see. Yeah. So... That was all really fascinating. Mm. In terms of people who were inspiring, Mm -hmm. I think Brian Grazer was amazing. So um, he talked about his new book, which is about curiosity. And it's basically detailing 40 years of him working with Ron Howard Mm -hmm. and creating these things in his head called uh, Curiosity Sessions, which is essentially... um, Going to experts and thought leaders in other disciplines and finding out how they would view a problem. Mm. So it's it's co-creation, right. really. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a subject that's constantly close to my heart. Mm. Um, and it was he was really inspiring, very funny, very witty, and has the most amazing stories to tell, mm. just based on um, taking a chance and reaching out to people and just viewing things from their perspective. And I really think, from a PR point of view, that is absolutely key yeah. to encouraging creativity in our work. Yeah, um, looking at things from different perspectives and yeah. working with other industries to make it better. Mm.
0: And just the value of curiosity, yeah, can't be overstated. Yeah,
1: and not doing things in a in a pattern based way. Yeah, sure. You know, not just doing things because it's the way we've always done it, but actually mm. questioning whether that's the right thing to do, and then playing. So it comes back to that idea of, of failing. If you play and test and experiment actually you'll end up at a better campaign.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to ask you about because obviously South By is all about the, the impact on tech, of technology and how it's um, reshaping everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been thinking about this in terms of the you know, the communications industry or the public relations business or whatever you want to call it. And it seems clear to me that technology has definitely changed the work that's being done in terms of platforms and Mm. channels and and outputs. Mm. But is it actually changing the business itself enough? Do you think it will? Do you think it should? Do you think it is?
1: I think that... So... Yes, I do think it's changed the industry. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's two sides to it. There's social giving us a channel to actually talk to the public directly again, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because it means that, um, you know, as, as a PR professional, you no longer have one audience, right? You have multiple. And being able to go directly to the public in an unfiltered way has Completely change the way that you that you talk as a brand, mm-hmm. or and then there's all of the kind of halo effect around that, which is, okay, well you then also are not in control solely of your reputation because of it, because actually, the it's more important what other people say to each other about your brand on your behalf than necessarily always what you're saying. So there's that side of it, and then there's the technology allowing people to self-publish, mm. and the fact that that has changed the way that we might work with influencers. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you know, influ- influencer marketing has matured to a point where everyone knows the value, um, and a lot of the influencers now are very sophisticated and professional. You know, you look at the YouTubers in the UK alone; they're managed by a, a central management agency. They command extortionate. Fees, um, and they're very savvy to brands wanting to work with them, and so it's no longer a, a situation where you can just kind of pitch them in a way that you maybe once would a journalist. You're actually looking at more of kind of a sponsorship slash partnership approach, and that mm. takes PRs into a completely different realm that maybe we're not as comfortable with as you know straightforward editorial pitching. Yeah. But it's it's now absolutely critical that we understand how to do that and more importantly the regulations and legislation around that because Mm. you know that you're then moving in when you're paying for something you've then got an overlap with advertising and then there's a whole load of ASA regulations that you have to be aware of yeah so it is I do think it's changing it but it's maybe changing it as a knock-on rather than directly
0: yeah not the actual maybe the way the business is structured itself because you, you yeah. kind of look at whether it's PR or advertising or marketing they're mm. still very people intensive businesses mm-hmm. and yet we hear a lot about how algorithms are changing how people consume information yes so you kind of think well will that start to how will that affect the business itself will, will we start to see for example more tasks being automated i mean mm-hmm. our machines are going to take over maybe <laughs>
1: Is the is the PR agency of the future robotic? Is yeah. that what you're asking me? I, that, that's exactly
0: <laughs> what I'm asking you.
1: Do you know? I had um, I went to a roundtable discussion before South by Southwest with my news desk, and um, we were talking about this—the mm-hmm. idea that maybe you could automate account execs.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And. From my perspective, I just don't see it happening.
0: Yeah. Have you not been in a meeting where the CEO says, we need more robots? No?
1: Sadly not. Mm. I, I would love that. Yeah. Because um, I'm a fan. But mm. but from my perspective, no, I don't think you can automate that. Mm. Because it's like, the, I would liken it to influencer analysis tools, right? Right. Your peer indexes of the world, mm. your trackers of the world. All great tools, but... They, they can only go so far.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: can give you the data, they can point you in the right direction, but then you need a person to apply some common sense and some experience to that um, and work out what to do with it. Mm. They will never get to a point where they'll be able to do that and fully automate it. And really, if I was a brand, I wouldn't want that. Mm. Because the whole the whole trend at the moment for purpose and social good it doesn't it doesn't fit alongside automated outreach and communications it just doesn't sit right right um and actually that was another massive out outcome yeah. of south by southwest that yeah. focus on on doing things that are good for the yeah. world rather than um things that are necessarily always just led by um kind of brand purpose right um
0: yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, robots are probably a step too far, you know. But we'll revisit it, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, definitely. at some point. Yeah, we'll get there. I but, think
1: I do think, in terms of um, measurement and reporting, right?
0: Even some of the tasks that go on yeah. sometimes seem to me to be a little inefficient.
1: Yes, I think now that's an area where automation can help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, measurement and reporting doing that manually nowadays is completely unnecessary Mm. you just don't have to do it Mm. even if you're not in an agency where you can write a simple script and and pull you know pull together different apis from facebook and um, twitter and the like tools exist where you can when you can do that quite in a quite straightforward way even coverage books you can mm. now automate. There are lots of nice tools where you can, you know, create beautiful cloud-based books, download them, send them to clients, give give people access and stuff like that. Yeah. So that stuff, which to be honest is not is not PR's heartland, mm. that you know that kind of thing doesn't need to be Those done. Those kinds
0: of yeah. What about are you familiar with with platforms like Air PR? Have you have you heard of this?
1: I've not heard. of Oh, okay. Of we'll
0: we'll talk about that on another podcast then. But have a look because okay. they they would claim. I think they just sold, in fact. Um, but they claim to automate public relations. Interesting. Um, yeah, and you so you you kind of just I think you do everything online.
1: And but they I think promise certain results. I think you can you can automate. <clears throat> so at the moment, a big. A big focus for me is iterative learning Mm. around finding, uh, developing kind of content themes, who's talking about them, and then looking at the performance of content created off the back of that. It's Mm -hmm. a big project that I'm working on at H&K. And the whole premise of that is cyclical um, kind of measurement. Uh so you don't get to the end of a campaign and then go this worked this worked this worked but we had it all planned out and um, you know we were going to do this in week two so we did this in week two it's a constant learning process Uh and that kind of pulling together that kind of data to produce a dashboard that is useful to teams can be automated if you set it up right It's then just the analysis of what you do with that that still is going to require a person to do Mm. it at the end of the day.
0: Okay. Well, shall we talk about um, the solar eclipse? Yes, let's. This this is the first echo chamber recorded during a solar eclipse, so it's historic. Cool. Um, Although coming in to the studio, I didn't actually see much evidence of it, this eclipse.
1: It looked very familiar outside in the mm. sense that it was just grey. It cloud.
0: was just grey and we couldn't see the sun. Yes. So maybe the impact was lost on us. <laughs> but brands never missing out on a chance to uh, news jack mm-hmm. and market in real time. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen Oreo has put an interesting tweet out. Yeah. Um, Oreo think, Eclipse. I think, I think it's a it's an outdoor ad. Is that right?
1: Is I it, think... They, or, is it, or is it just a picture? They have a... That is an out, that's an out piece of experiential, yes. A and piece of experiential. piece right. of experiential. <laughs> okay. So yes, it's an outdoor ad. Um, but they also have, they've also got a promoted trend running right. as well. Right, Oreo Eclipse. Oreo Eclipse. So
0: have they, They. this, because obviously they, they won the Super Bowl mm-hmm. a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with their Dunk in the Dark. They did. Tweet. So have they reinvented marketing again?
1: <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if they reinvented marketing back then. I think Your,
0: that's that's a very cynical view. I'd, I'd like to well, point out. Yeah, but,
1: but you know, X Journey. <laughs> um, I think that uh, at the time, it was the first example of a really massive brand doing responsive marketing in a big way that had an impact. Mm. There were lots of other people doing it at the time and had been for about a year and a half at mm-hmm. that point. Um, but it was the first time that there was like a, a highlight moment. Where it was the the kind of the combination of all of the things that you want happening to make responsive marketing really work, which is um, a a kind of cultural moment that people already know about, right. then something that happens in that cultural moment that you're not expecting, and then a brand response like that is the the perfect trifactor mm. of of real time. Yeah. Um, And so press went crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, actually, if you look at the results of that actual tweet itself, Mm -hmm. that that didn't contribute to most of the opportunities to see around that. It was largely the press reach that contributed to that being which is interesting. Yeah. Um, And so I, you know, it was it was a great win for them. I don't know if the impact was quite as significant as um, the the press coverage would suggest
0: yeah because i always wonder about that going back to the super bowl one yeah which we're talking about i always wonder what the the um the impact was you know did it work did it um you know it it depends on what the goals were obviously yeah but again if if the goal is just to get coverage and lots of buzz that seems quite a modest goal, given yeah. the amounts of money that are being spent on some of these real-time newsrooms
1: and so on. Sure. I mean, it's it's brand awareness, right? Mm. So if you look at it in the, in the guise of that, mm-hmm. it probably performed really, really well for them because they got so much press coverage off the back of it. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's with a very specific audience, right. with a marketing audience. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> with the echo you can, chamber. You can question that.
0: Okay. Any brands missing out today, do you think?
1: Yes. So literally mm. before I came into this podcast, I noticed that Jaffa Cakes was trending. And of yeah. course and, and organically trending, not paid for. Oh. And I um I of course thought that they'd they'd done something really cool because mm-hmm. of the now infamous full moon, half moon, total eclipse ad from the nineties. Yeah. But unfortunately, right. that's not the case.
0: They haven't. They've just let it go. No, yeah. people
1: are... That's. I think for the UK, that's a really clear cultural reference yeah. for, for the Eclipse. Mm. And so people are just naturally talking about it. But unfortunately, Jeff Cakes is not doing anything with it. In fact, I think their, their last tweet, they have something pinned about an old ad, which isn't the Eclipse. Mm-hmm. And then the last active tweet that they've put out is a customer service response. So it's a bit of a wasted opportunity.
0: Hmm. Is it too late now?
1: No. I think they've got till the end of the day to do something, but they're trending right now. Yeah. And those trends move on an hourly. I mean ideally basis. they should have been prepared for this. Of course.
0: Right. They should have had their war room yeah, ready to go. Definitely. I mean yeah.
1: it's it's one of you know, if you map out an editorial calendar, course, it's absolutely yeah. a prime point where Jaff Kicks could do something. And it's a really nice story for them because it's linked into heritage um, mm. and, and it makes people feel something. Yeah, everyone so, wins. Exactly.
0: Who doesn't like Jaffa Cakes?
1: Crazy people.
0: Crazy people. make Robots. Yeah. they probably
1: They're probably not fans.
0: Possibly, yeah. This is what happens if we let robots into PR firms.
1: Yeah, no more Jaffa Cakes. No,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a better argument. And that's probably a good note on which to end Vicky thank you so much for welcome. your time today you have I think time off yes. next week you've earned it Thanks. no doubt so enjoy and we look forward to having you back at thank some you point. very
1: much for having me
0: before we go I just wanted to say thank you all for listening I actually checked the echo chamber stats and we're getting a lot of people listening which is great so thank you and if you want to get in touch you can find us on twitter at homes report at our website homes or you can of course email me You can even use the phone. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's
1: show. We'll see you next week.